Once upon a time. You ever heard that phrase before? Once upon a time. It's a pretty famous phrase. Some people have said that it's probably the most famous phrase in the English language. Oftentimes we hear once upon a time and it's followed by this amazing story from our 10-year-old son. No, it's often followed up by amazing fantasy life experience. It's followed by this, this wonderful fairy tale of impossibilities, of things that could have never happened. And one of the things I've learned as a, as a dad is that because of stories that often begin with that phrase, there are often stories of real life stuff that happens that I have to explain to my 10-year-old son and to our 13-year-old daughter, not nearly as much anymore, of the differences between story and truth. This morning, we're going to jump into a new sermon series entitled, Once Upon a Time. And you see the little byline, the, the line below that says, ancient stories and timeless truths. And I hope you can imagine where we're going with this. There's been these conversations that I've had in the past couple months with a number of people. It's, it's been absolutely awesome uh, as a reminder, as a pastor, is how often uh, uh, we come into a setting like this and we begin talking about certain characters in the Bible. We begin uh, talking about certain things, using certain words in church. And we kind of assume that everybody's on the same page. Anybody else guilty of that? You ever had a conversation with someone and they're just clueless? They're just looking at you like... I have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. Does that only happen to me? It happens all the time because we are a church made up of people from all walks of life. Amen? We are a church made up of people who have grown up in the church. Some of us, we've heard all of the uh, Old Testament Bible stories. We've heard all sorts of things. Our entire lives have been raised around it. And there are people in our midst, praise the Lord that have no idea who Goliath was, who have no idea uh, anything much more about King David than what they've heard on one Sunday morning. There are people in our midst that have no idea about Noah and an ark. And maybe they've seen a picture book available at Ollie's right now for 99 cents. They've heard some little facet of a story from Scripture, and it has been lumped in oftentimes with the same books that are available on every shelf of every bookstore that tell a story about once upon a time that often ends with everyone lived. And I think this summer... For these weeks that we share together through our summer months, we're going to focus in on, I don't know exactly which all stories we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks, but we're going to share some time together, or revealing or reminding some of us, or refreshing some of us, or dawning some things on some of us about what God's Word holds within its pages. Once upon a time, again, is the standard phrase used to introduce an account of past events. Typically, we hear it used in fairy tales and folk tales. Some quick research this past week says that the phrase has been used in some form since at least 1380 in the English language. So this morning, we're going to look at some true once upon a time stories from Scripture. This morning, we're going to begin 
in the beginning. Literally. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 together. And literally, we're going to go back to the beginning. But I think we need to start some things. I need to just acknowledge the fact that when we talk about the beginning... When we talk about the creation account according to Scripture, I want you to hear real quickly that uh, there are so many opinions, ideas, beliefs, even in the church, about how the beginning became the beginning. And and I think it's worth acknowledging that there's much debate. There's a, a lot of conversations. I have stayed up many hours and many times having conversations with peers and friends about what I believe about the beginning and how I interpret Scripture to me. I've had some tough conversations with Christian professors in Bible school about what the beginning holds. I have read lots, and there is lots more to read. There are Christians on every spectrum of the conversation. There's an ongoing debate that we are not going to solve together on one Sunday morning about how exactly God started it all. But, that's the point this morning. God started it all. If you don't get anything else, if you have more questions and answers after this morning, welcome to the club. (laughs) I have so many questions. Can I just tell you something else too? I think sometimes we don't have permission to ask questions or to think that it's okay to have questions. That we think, oh, we better know exactly what we're supposed to say in in a moment. And in in the moments that we're going to share together this morning, I hope to give us, I, I hope for those of us who have grown up in the church and those of us who are a little bit nervous about someone else asking us questions that we don't yet know the answer to or we're not quite sure what we believe, I want you to know God is bigger than your questions. Do you know that? God doesn't change simply because we have questions. God hasn't changed simply because we don't have answered questions. God is God, and you're not. Let that sink in for a moment. That takes a lot of stress off your pastor. Can I tell you that? God is God, and I am not. And yet, God has revealed some things in his word that do absolutely stand in stark contrast to the lies that this world has believed about where things began. And I don't think we have to have all the answers. I don't think we have to have all the details. I don't think we have to have uh, everything lining up in a nice, tightly bound package for us to understand this morning as Christians that we do need to have an answer for when people ask and when we ask ourselves in moments of difficulty, where did it all begin? Why am I a human being? I want to affirm this morning The Bible holds a much different view of how all that we see around us came to be. And I want you to know, I want you to hear from me. We can trust God's word. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. The name Genesis, as you're turning there, or, or maybe you're opening up your Bible app and you can follow along as I read in just a few moments. Genesis chapter 1 is a, a great passage of Scripture. It really is the easiest passage of Scripture to find in the Bible. 
If you're wondering where, where you should start in Scripture, you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff. And just start at the very beginning. It's a pretty good place to start. The name Genesis comes from the Greek word meaning origins. And it's widely held that Genesis and the other first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, were authored, written, obviously by God, but penned by Moses. The first 11 chapters of Genesis introduce us to Yahweh, to God, our creator, Elohim. And it shows his power in creation and reveals God's expectations for his creation. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I've got to tell you, i got to confess something. As I've been uh, kind of working on this series about once upon a time, I, I literally had an idea that, that I have to tell you, but I didn't pull it off. All right? Here was my idea. I was going to put a big recliner up on the stage, and I was going to hold a big family Bible in my lap, and I was going to smoke a bubble pipe. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to have bubbles. But Amazon couldn't get it here quick enough, so I don't. Genesis chapter 1. Here's what God's word says. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light, the light from the darkness. God called the, the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Before day one, nothing. Day one, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth that God created was formless and empty, but obviously, according to Scripture, filled with dark water. And God's Spirit, God's presence, God's Holy Spirit, God's presence was hovering over the waters. Still day one, God speaks and says, let there be light. And it happened. Not a light switch. Not an alternate power source. God said, let it be, and it was. And then scripture says, God called it good. And we're going to see that phrase throughout here in Genesis chapter 1 continually in reference to God's creation. It was labeled good. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens, from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth and the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Day two, literally, God created what we know as the sky, space between the waters of the earth and the waters of the heavens. I think this is very important for us to understand as we continue on in Scripture and we see how God chose to destroy humanity except for eight upon an ark where the waters came from to cause such a devastating worldwide flood. Here in Genesis chapter 1, we see this creation of the sky is important for us, and we see it 
again, that God created. Verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit... These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruits. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Day three. God separated the waters from the land. He identified the dry ground as land and identified the remaining bodies of water as seas. And again, God labels them good. And then he creates plants. Interesting to note, uniquely designed by God with reproduction in mind. To recreate themselves. If you've ever planted a garden, it's fascinating, right? How God's creation continues to replicate itself. Again, all of this labeled good. Verse 14, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern its day and night, to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Day four, God says, let there be lights in the sky, and the sun, moon, and stars are created at his word, and all of them, again, labeled could by God. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful creation and multiply let the fish fill the seas let the birds multiply on the earth and evening passed and morning came marking the fifth day day five all marine life and birds of the air again each created with reproduction in mind each producing offspring of the same kind what a creation god made again all of it labeled good Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce, produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God again saw that it was good. Day six, the beginning Animals, including the unfortunate creation of cats. <laughs> I heard an amen. Can I hear another? Amen. 
all animals that scurry along the ground, all animals created again with reproduction in mind, all labeled good. And God's not done on day six. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They, the humans, will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Ask your parents what that means. (laughs) Fill the earth. Govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the whole earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Verse 31. And God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was muy bien, very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So a continuation of day six is God creates Adam and Eve. Their detailed creation happens again uh, in Genesis chapter 2. And uniquely about the creation of Adam first and then of Eve is that God breathes into their creation what's known as the breath of life. Creating something distinctly different. Something created specifically, Scripture says, in His image of all the other stuff that's been created in these first five days nothing else bears the image of almighty god and it's beautiful and as god looks back upon it he says it is very good Again, in these verses, it's worth noting that this human creation is given authority over all other created things. God's command reign over everything else. It's for you. It's for your benefit. The first four verses of chapter 2 wrap up this creation account overview. Here's what chapter 2 says. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day... God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. So day seven was a timeout. Day seven was God is done. He has done the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the impossible. God has finished his creation. And he pushes pause. He calls a timeout. He takes a break. And he rests. And he sets apart a day of rest. The creation account of Scripture, as as I mentioned before, to me is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of how God did this. And I think, again, it answers the question, how did we all get here? 
And I think the world is asking that question in some facet or another. The world continues to ask that little bitty question. How did we all get here? What does this all mean? What's this all for? The world is really asking in that question whether or not they actually say those words. The world wonders, why is all of this here? What does it all mean? How did it all come to pass? And we have to be honest, not everyone in the world is going to look at the Bible for answers. Right? Oftentimes the Bible is the last source of inspiration for many in the world of any sort of truth-telling. People turn to all sorts of places to find truth. And I want you to hear, Christian brother and sister... You don't have to shelf God's word on matters of truth. In its most basic form, the question of how this all came to be, the earth, the space, plants and animals, human beings, it can be answered with the simple phrase from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. It may seem like a cop-out. Honestly, as I wrote these words, as I was working on this, this message, it may seem pretty easy for us just to say, I don't know how it all happened, but I do know that God's holy word says, in the beginning, he did it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to know I would rather start at that starting point than any other starting point. There are so many opinions. There are so many conversations. There's so much data to analyze, to look through, to wonder about. I would rather start with the truth of God's Word that says... My God started it all. I think it's an important starting point for all of us as Christians. I think it's an important uh, starting point for us to be able to deliver that news back to the world. That singular phrase that begins God's word to humanity is a lifetime of reality and reminder. In the small moments that we're going to finish sharing together this morning, I want to highlight three specific reminders that Help us as we apply these verses of God's creation to our lives today. The three things are this, the meaning of creation, the manner of creation, and the moment. Let's start with the meaning of creation. In the beginning, God created. One of my commentaries says this, the Hebrew word for created, bara, is used in the Old Testament to refer to divine activity only. In the beginning, God created. That phrase, that word used for created means to us that only God. Scripture reveals this truth. The the author of Genesis, Moses, divinely inspired by God, wrote it this way to help us understand and to truly believe that only God serves as its creation, as creation's grammatical subject, implying that Moses, inspired by God, wanted you and me, wanted to emphasize that people like us cannot do what God can do. And no other God can claim to be the creator. 
In its verb form, it also conveys the idea of ordering or determining function. It suggests that God's creative activity consists of bringing proper order. That everything that we see around us, we know this, we say it all the time, that if we, if we don't see chaos around us, amen? We see chaos in humanity, we see chaos uh, falling apart, but if you look at any part of creation... You don't see happy little accidents like Bob Ross would want us to. I love this reminder for us this morning. What it tells me and what I hope it tells us together as a congregation is to remember in the reality of the meaning of creation is that God created on purpose. And again, I think that, I think that stands in direct opposition as truth to a, a world that, again, believes the lie that we're simply made up of a series of chance happenings. I want you to hear this morning, you are not an accident. You are no mistake. God doesn't make junk. God didn't make any mistakes. We are not here today on accident or by some one in a billion chance. All that we see around us, everything we have was created with purpose. We, as human beings, are made special and uniquely identified, uniquely for the purposes of God, our Creator. Max Lucado, a famous Christian author, says this. I love this phrase, this quote. You weren't created by accident. You weren't mass-produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman, God. One of the striking realities of the original languages that Scripture was written in is the, the depth of the word studies that you can continue to do. Again, I've told you this before. I just dare you to do a little bit of digging. The English word that's translated as created. In the beginning, God created. We say that phrase and we just simply let it go. But there's so much depth to understanding God's word. And I would dare you again. Visit a website like Blue Letter Bible. Do some word studies on your own. Turn to your index and your, your Bible or search for it online. It's fascinating. The second reminder this morning is the manner of creation. Some of you know that I like to make stuff, right? I love creating things, uh, whether it's uh, something digital like a, a website or a poster for an event that we're having here at Hyde Wesleyan Church or spending time in my shop at our house and making pens on my wood lathes. I love the process of starting with some raw materials and creating something unique from start to finish and having the accomplishment of having something that I made with my own hands or the click of my mouse. I think we as humans like that, but I want, I want to distinguish in this idea of the manner of creation that the difference between the things that we create and the thing God created is that you and I always start with something else. You, you notice that? I, I start with software made by some genius. I start with uh, raw products like hardwood. 
and a wood lathe. I, I start with someone else's tools. Someone else created those tools. I want you to get this for just a second. God's manner of creation. The, the beauty of how your God, our God, created it all is he didn't start with anybody else's blueprint. He didn't start with anybody else's raw materials. God created everything from scratch. In the beginning, God created Another reminder is that reality. There's no box of Lego that God went to to start creating from scratch. There's no raw materials that God combined to form something new. There was no how-to manual, no sketched out blueprints. God may have made man from dust, but he created that dust. God didn't go to Lowe's or to Joanne Fabrics. Everything we have, all that we see, all that exists, God created it from scratch. All that is created is His handiwork, His original design. It's by Him. It's for Him. There's no copies of copies. Trees have leaves because God wanted them to. You and I have two eyes and sometimes too big of a mouth. Because God created us that way. Fish have scales. Birds have feathers. All because of God's infinitely incredible creativity. Do you know how awesome a creator our God is? The, the psalmist got it. Psalm 139 verse 14. Thank you, the psalmist writes. Thank you for making me so wonderfully Complex. Anybody say amen about your spouse? God, your worksmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I, I'm no biologist. I'm a Netflix documentary watcher, right? That's the best I got. I, I, I passed all my science stuff, but I'm not a scientist. But I am often just overwhelmed at the complexity of life that's being discovered by science. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling how small we can now see. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it's absolutely fascinating. And I, I, I want you to hear as, as a Christian, as your pastor, when I see these things that oftentimes people are saying how complex life is and in the next breath saying that there is no God, I, I, I want to shake Netflix. When the world continues to see just how complex and uniquely created everything is. Friends, I, I hope in your homes, I hope in, in your head, when you continue to hear just how amazing creation is, I hope you pause to give praise to the Creator. Because everything we have, all manner of creation, God did it. We can have questions all day long about how, and guess what? <laughs> We're not God. He is. I can't create like God. Third, again, the moment of creation. When was the moment of God's creative work? Scripture says, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the reminder I think for us the application for you and me is that time too 
is a creation of God. It's almost, it's not almost impossible. It is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. Have you ever done that? Have you ever laid in bed and tried to figure out time and eternity and how it works? Sometimes I, my, my brain starts hurting. I give myself an internal migraine because it's just, a, it's incredible to think about. But I, I want us to understand that in the beginning, God was, and yet in the beginning, God created everything we have. That tells us, that reveals to us in Scripture, that God was here before he created time. Time is a creation. It's another one of God's beautiful creations. The eternal God is before, above, and beyond our understanding of time. I don't know about you, but I am quite driven. I am quite managed by time. I, I say it, I, I hear you say it, that we don't have enough of it, right? We don't have enough time. I'm struck by how quickly time continues to pass by. Ezra, our son, just turned 10 this past week. 10! Ella, two weeks ago, turned 13. On Wednesday, Jess and I will celebrate our crystal anniversary, 15 years. Sometimes I am so like, how? And everybody told us it was going to happen. Don't blink, right? We did. I'm sorry. And here we are. Double digits for our son, teenage years for our daughter, 15 years and our marriage. I'm governed by those things. I'm shocked by them. I'm overwhelmed at the reality of how quickly time continues. Some of you, you came to church this morning, you're like, didn't we just have family fun day last year? We have those kinds of feelings often. Time is a creation of Almighty God. And knowing that God created at time, knowing that God is not governed by the same 365 or 366, depending on the year, days of a year, 24 hours in a day, knowing that God is not governed by them, but rather that God created time for us, should give us reason to relax for a moment. Knowing that God created time means that God's not surprised by the things that surprise us, the things that weren't on our schedule. Knowing that God created time means that uh, according to our schedule, when we think certain things need to happen, we can know, we can believe, we can understand, we can take faith together in understanding that God is not bound by the same schedule you and I are. God is able to accomplish his purposes in his time. I'm so glad that God is not bound by my time. If you grew up singing songs as a kid in church, you probably sang these lyrics. We used to sing a song that said, In your time, in your time, you make all things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. Time. Another of God's marvelous creations exists with the reality of eternity. 
Hear me quickly in closing this morning. We don't know how long we have. From a prayer request of a family who will likely have to make a decision that determines life or death. To birth announcements in our congregation, the reality of new life and excitement, the screaming babies and kids all around this building, we know how fragile life is. And God created you and me and everything we have for a purpose. Everything you see for His purpose. And not as an experiment. Not as a oops. God created you and me with a purpose of bringing honor and glory to Him. His desire, according to His word, all of creation points to this reality that God wants to be in relationship with those he created in his image. That's you and me. And he made a way. He made a way by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life. God in flesh. And we didn't understand it. Sometimes we still don't. But God sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect, blameless life and to lay his life down willingly. Again, no mistakes were made. Jesus laid his life down for you and for me so that we could have a way to the Father, the creator of all things, wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know who you are, whose you are, and he loves you enough to send his son Jesus to die for you. But Jesus didn't stay dead. That's good news. He rose again, conquered death, conquered the grave, conquered sin. And the same conquered death, the same life eternal is available to you and to me if we will put our trust solely in the one who offers it. And his name is Jesus. Will you stand with me? Once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth and all that we have for his purposes. And he made you and me offspring of the original Adam and Eve in his image, with his breath in our lungs. We are souls created for a purpose of bringing glory to our creator. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to introduce him to you. There's a whole bunch of people here that would love to introduce him to you. If you're not so sure, but you have some questions, you're in a good place. 
please seek us out. Seek me out. I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus if you're curious. Uh, it would be my honor to tell you about my Jesus in detail. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, what a, what a powerful reminder of your creation all around us. Thank you. Thank you for being our creator, God. Thank you for giving us life and breath. Thank you for not making mistakes. Thank you for the unique ways in which you created everything that we have. For the intricacies and the incredible realities that are being made known continually by medicine and science of just how intricate your creation is. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to take a moment to be in awe again of what it is you have created. Help us not to buy into the lie that this is just by chance. Help us to know, to know that we know that we are made in your image, that you have created all that is around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us more than we could ever love you. Thank you for Jesus. I pray, God, that if there is one who is here this morning who doesn't yet know that gift, doesn't yet know the gift of salvation offered through Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that this day would be the day of their salvation, that this day they would choose to inquire about this wonderful gift of grace offered through the, only through the blood of Jesus. Lord, would you fill us with your presence each and every day and go with us from this place, I pray. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you at 5 o'clock at Lower Whitmer Park.